Well, we have been in this new uh, series uh, that we've titled The Time Is Now. Um, and uh, just, if, if you're just tuning into this, a little explanation for why we were doing this. We were going to be, we were going to start Revelation right after the new year, get back into that as we had started it in the fall. But we felt like it was really important um, at this juncture in the life of our church and this time of year uh, to, to take a moment and kind of go back to some basics and, and to kind of redefine uh, some priority commitments that, that we hope that you will make with us as, as part of LifePoint Church. And those four essential commitments that we have been reciting each week is to show, know, grow, and go. Would you say that with me? Show, know, grow, and go. Show enough. So three weeks ago, a show from Hebrews ten nineteen to 25. And, and I challenged each of you to, to show up in church every Sunday that you're able um, to, to worship God, to learn from God's word together, uh, to show up in a life group, to build community uh, with a small group of others in the church, a place where you can know and be known, where you can care and be cared for and pursue spiritual growth together. And then third, to show up as a LifePoint Church partner. And, and again, if you're new to LifePoint, uh, that's our word for member. We call it partnership because it's not just about uh, being a member. It's about investing together and locking arms together uh, in to serve Christ in, in our time and in our community. Two weeks ago, then, we explored that second essential commitment for each of us at LifePoint, which is to know, uh, specifically to know God, to genuinely know each other, and again, I challenged each of you in this new year to to do what you know you need to do in order to draw closer to God and closer to each other than ever before. And then last week, we considered the third commitment, which is to grow. Uh, we based our thoughts in Colossians 2, 6 and 7, where Paul wrote, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. We saw that that command to walk in Christ is really an invitation to walk around in him. That's what that word means. It literally means to walk around. And 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 I think to, to get to know and to understand the full dimensions of his love and his grace toward us. We thought about those four participles that follow the command, rooted in Christ, built up in him, established in the faith, abounding or or overflowing with thanksgiving. And then we considered six components for spiritual growth. If you hadn't, haven't had opportunity to take in one or more of these messages, I hope that you'll take the time to view them uh, either online at mylpcholy.com or on YouTube at LifePoint Church of Olympia. Remember the LifePoint is two words, not just one. Um, and there's an E on the end of point because we just like to be difficult. Essential commitment number four today, which is to go to go. To introduce this fourth commitment to which we are calling you individually and as a church, I want to return to the the theme that we saw last week in Colossians 2.7, which is the theme of abounding or overflowing. Again, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. I like the way the Amplified Bible uh, 
captured that. It says abounding and overflowing in it with thanksgiving, abounding, overflowing. And, and the reason I wanted to return to that is that I want you to think about the theme of overflow with me this morning. Can you say that word with me? Overflow. And then turn with me, if you will, to John's Gospel, uh, chapter 4, beginning at verse 5. Um, New Testament begins with Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth Gospel. And uh, stick your thumb in there and stand with me together. Um, and let's read this. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting inside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. This is God's word. You may be seated. Uh, There is an awful lot in this short little passage that we just read. I don't have the time to completely unpack this scene, but let's just say that Jesus is in Samaria, a place where Jews usually don't go. He's a Jewish male. Uh, He's a a rabbi at that, uh, alone with a Samaritan woman in a solitary place. Uh, Jesus, in doing that, was transcending ethnic, religious, political, social, cultural boundaries that day. And he engaged this woman in a very interesting conversation. So Jesus is tired. He sits down at Jacob's well. Uh, The disciples had gone into town to get some kosher cheeseburgers. And at around three in the afternoon, a woman comes to draw water from Jacob's well. Jesus asks her for a drink. She replies, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Notice the editorial comment in the latter half of verse 9, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God. By the way, just put a check uh, by that phrase, the gift of God, and we'll return to it momentarily. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Her reply uh, gives clear indication that she didn't pick up on what he was putting down. Uh, The woman was thinking literally. Jesus is speaking spiritually. 
She heard his words and missed his meaning. Uh, she didn't know the gift of God. She didn't know to whom she was speaking. She, she had no idea what he was describing when he used the words living water. You see, in ordinary everyday language in, in those days, living water was running water. Uh, it was the water of a running stream uh, as opposed to the water of a well or, or a cistern or, or even a, just a pond. To the Jew, running, living water from the stream was always preferable. And, and according to rabbinic law, uh, living water was, was the only water that could be used in ritual cleansing to make unclean worshipers pure. So the woman is saying, and by the way, you who are, you know, theological pinheads, you're going to think about that, right? Living water, cleansing. <laughs> Jesus offers cleansing. So the woman is saying, you're offering me pure, clean, flowing water. Where are you going to get that? Where are you going to get that? See, Jesus was a visitor to her neighborhood. She was a local, a native uh, a resident of Shechem, she knew the location of every water source for miles around. If there had been running water near Shechem, Jacob wouldn't have had to dig the well. And it was clear to her that Jesus didn't even have a bucket to draw water up from that well. But it seems to me that at this point in the conversation, she's beginning to think that something's up, right? That something different was going on here. And notice her question in verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Great question, right? Are you greater than our father Jacob, the son of Isaac, grandson of Abraham, whose name God changed to Israel, the the father of the 12 tribes, the father of the nation of Israel? Are you greater than he? And the answer, of course, is yes, isn't it? Jesus is greater than Jacob. So I think Jesus is drawing out her mind, drawing out her heart, preparing her to receive what he has to offer her. And he said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. The water in this well Everyone who drinks that water is going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up, welling up to eternal life. The difference between the water from the well that she could offer him and the water that Jesus was offering her was stark. Well water can satisfy thirst temporarily. The living water Jesus offered would eliminate her spiritual thirst permanently. The water from Jacob's well could revive a weary body. The living water Jesus offered would become a spring of water within her, within anyone who believes, welling up to eternal life. Jesus is talking about spiritual transformation. Jesus talking about spiritual healing so that her very life would become a well of living water, a flow of life 
that would well up resulting in her salvation and her transformation and then overflow from her into the lives of others. Say that with me again, overflow. Did she understand even then? Probably not. How do we know that? Because of her reply in verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And it's like she's saying, well, that'd be cool. I'll, I'll take it. That way I wouldn't be so thirsty. I wouldn't have to walk all the way out here in the afternoon sun every day to get water, to carry this heavy bucket back into town. And there's a sense in which she may yet not yet have understood what he was saying. It's possible she was mocking. But what we know, if you read on in the story, we know that she eventually received what Jesus offered. And not only did she do that, but then she brought all of her friends and relatives to meet Jesus. Overflow. The overflow of Christ in her life, the overflow of that living water that she received from Jesus. Turn with me now just a few pages to the right to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, beginning of verse 37. And there it says that on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The feast in question is the feast of booths, or it's also known as the feast of tabernacles. It's observed annually. Uh, usually in late September or early October, uh, near the end of the fall harvest. It was one of those festivals that, that stood as a perennial reminder throughout all the generations of Israel of the experience of the people of Israel in the Exodus when the Lord delivered them out of slavery, brought them up out of the land of Egypt. And during those years, as they moved about in the wilderness... They lived in makeshift structures, booths, tabernacles. And so during the week of the annual feast, the Jews would build similar structures. And and for that week, they would live in them. And it still happens in Israel today. In Leviticus 23, we read about this particular feast and the commands related to it. And I'm not going to uh, give you all of that because it would take too long. But God had commanded for seven days, you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day, you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It's a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. So when we read in John seven thirty-seven of the great day, uh, we're probably reading about the eighth day of the feast, of the festival, the day of holy convocation, the day of solemn assembly. And in verse 40, the congregation is commanded, and you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and the willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, 
seven days. This is a happy festival. This, this is a, a festival of rejoicing, of, of thanksgiving. But notice that branches of palm trees, boughs of leafy trees, willows of the brook. Um, with those, they would build these tabernacles. That was, those were the, the building materials for those temporary dwellings. And each day of the feast, the people would come with other palms, other branches, and uh, they would uh, march during this ceremony around the great altar, waving those branches. And at the same time, the priest would take a golden pitcher and he would go out through the water gate, not not the water gate hotel, but the, the gate called the water gate in Jerusalem. And, and go down to the water, through the water gate, down to the pool of Siloam. He'd fill that pitcher with water. He'd bring it back up and he would pour it on the altar there in the temple courts uh, as an offering to the, to the Lord. And while all that was going on, the people and the, and the temple choir would sing what was known as the Hallel. And it's Psalm 113 through 118. Every preschooler in Israel uh, could recite uh, those chapters from memory. Um, and so it was a well-known passage, Psalm 113 through 118. And then they would recite Isaiah 12, 3, which says, with joy, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And then at the close, the worshipers would shout, they'd wave their branches toward the altar and the last thing, the last words of the ceremony that they would shout were, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. That's the, the last verse of the Hallel, the last verse of Psalm 118. In addition to, to being a reminder to them of the temporary dwellings in the wilderness, this ceremony was a, a vivid expression of thanksgiving for God's good gift of water, a remembrance of the water that sprang from the rock in that same wilderness. And the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Corinthian believers, recalls that image to their minds. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. Um, that's, that's the cloud of the Spirit that, that led them through the wilderness by day. Our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea. It's a remembrance of the parting of the Red Sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. The rock was Christ. You go, what? I thought it was just a plain old rock that, that Moses first struck and then spoke to, was supposed to speak to. But when, when, when Moses followed God's command about water for the people in that rock, water flowed out of, out of, a, out of nowhere, literally. Where water shouldn't have been, it flowed abundantly. Gives me goosebumps to think about that. The rock, Paul says, was Christ. Christ was there. It was against this background and perhaps at that very moment that Jesus' voice rang out 
On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It's as if Jesus is saying, you're you're thanking, you're glorifying God for the water that quenches the thirst of your bodies. And well, you should. He's the provider of that. But if you want water that will quench the thirst of your soul, then come, come to me. Come to me. To the Samaritan woman at the well, he had said, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. To the Jews in the temple, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Overflow. Overflow. Now notice what John interjects at verse 39. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive... For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The source of the rivers of living water that will overflow the hearts and lives of those who believe in Jesus is the Holy Spirit present in their lives. Remember I asked you to to put a check by that phrase, the gift of God, and In John 4, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. See, later on that phrase, the gift of God was, was one of the, one of the expressions that was used by Christians to describe the Holy Spirit. And it's present in several places throughout, um, the New Testament. Jesus is the unique giver of the Holy Spirit. Remember he said to his disciples, I won't leave you alone. I'll send you another comforter, one like me, and he will guide you into all the truth. In fact, the apostle Peter, uh, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was finally given, poured out, Peter said that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that day was Evidence, proof positive that that God, first of all, had accepted the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins, that Jesus was now glorified, that he was now exalted, that he was now seated at the right hand of God, his work for our salvation complete. Here's my question for you this morning. What are you doing? with your overflow. What are you doing with your overflow? Do you have one? Have you received Jesus as your only Savior? Have you therefore received the gift of the Holy Spirit? Has the Spirit of God taken up residence in your life? Is He changing and rearranging things? Is He welling up within you? Is He overflowing from your life? What are you doing with your overflow? This fourth commitment to go is all about overflow. Our mission here at LifePoint, as we've defined it, is to help people find and follow Jesus. Our vision as a church is to make disciples who make disciples here, near, and far. 
About 40 days after his resurrection from the dead, just before he ascended into heaven, he gathered with his disciples and when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And I think at that moment, Jesus kind of rolled his eyeballs, said, you guys still don't get it, do you? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Some people refer to this as the great commission. I would say it's the great prediction. And Jesus wasn't commissioning them. He was telling them what was about to happen to them. Well, get ready because I'm I'm fixing to mess with you a little. I'm going to meddle with you just a little bit this morning. Follow the logic of Jesus' statement in this passage. And let's just work forward. Here it is. If you're a Christian, then the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life. If that is true, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, then you are in possession of spiritual power. If you possess spiritual power, then you are to be, you are to become a witness of Jesus Christ. Jerusalem, Judea, all Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, here, near and far. Now shift that into reverse and let's work backward. If you are not serving as a witness of Christ, if you're not functioning as a witness of Christ to the people around you, then could it be that it's because you have not received spiritual power? And if you have not received spiritual power, then it would be an indication, wouldn't it, that the Holy Spirit has not come upon you doesn't live in you. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't live in you, then you're not a disciple. You are not a Christian. Remember what Jesus said, whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. If you're a believer in Jesus this morning, what are you doing with your overflow? Go with me to one other passage of Scripture. Matthew 28, 16 to 20. This one is the Great Commission. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let me ask you, in verse 19, what's the primary command? Is it go or is it make disciples? What's the primary command? Thank you, those of you who spoke up. Rest of you are cowards. (laughs) The primary command is make disciples. 
make disciples. And in fact, the word translated go there is actually better translated as you are going. As you are going, make disciples. As you're going where? (laughs) For Jesus' men, it was to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. For us, it's as we're going to church, as we're going to our home, to our neighborhood, to our workplace, the grocery store, the gym, coffee shop, the restaurant, the salon, all of the places you go in the normal traffic patterns of your life. And in each of those places, you are called to be a witness. You are called to be a disciple maker. In each of those places and into the lives of those who populate those places, the life of the Spirit is to well up and overflow through our lives. When we talk about being partners in LifePoint Church, we're talking about being partners in the overflow of the Spirit in and through our lives. Partners in the gospel, uh, the proclamation of the gospel, the advancement of the gospel, the advancement of the kingdom of God. Partners in disciple making. So again, let me ask you, what are you doing with your overflow? I want to wrap this up this morning by urging you to consider where God is calling you to overflow, where he's calling you to serve, where he's calling you to make a difference in in the lives of others. And to help you think about where that is, I I want to just point out, uh, point to four areas or, or sectors, if you will, of ministry and mission. And the first is that we're called to overflow within the church. We're called to overflow within the church. Um, Paul said, uh, as you have a gift, use it to build up others. There's a place for you to serve here in this church. I've served in a a large church. I've served in small churches. I've served in medium-sized churches over the years. One thing they all have in common, every one of them, is that there are never enough volunteers to... uh, to carry out the, the ministries that those churches desired to implement. Now, I was, you know, people might think of big churches, they, they've got it all together. No, <laughs> they don't. They're more desperate for volunteers than, than even smaller churches. It's just as true here at LifePoint. Uh, whoever you are, however God has uniquely wired you, uh, there's a place for you. You are needed. Here's what else you are. You are created to serve. You are gifted to serve. If you're a believer in Christ, you are invested with with gifts, spiritual gifts, spiritual enablements for ministry. You are called to serve and you are commanded to serve. And that all happened before I got to you. That all came from the Lord. See, you and I are following a servant uh, who said that whoever would be great among us must be a servant. Whoever would be first among us must be the slave of all. Jesus said, the Son of Man, speaking of himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. If we're following him, if we're following Jesus, the servant leader, then we can be confident that he's going to lead us to places 
of humble and sacrificial service. While I'm at it, I want to encourage you to consider becoming a life group leader or a life group host or hostess. I want to encourage you to consider being, becoming part of our youth ministry, helping teenagers to find and follow Jesus, to grow up to spiritual maturity. I want to encourage you to become part of Kids Life, our children's ministry. You might consider becoming part of our grounds crew. Uh, you might be a greeter or an usher or even serve by on Sunday mornings between services by straightening chairs and replacing pens and cards in the backs of the chairs. There's just lots of things to do. There's a place for you. You might want to be a part of our band, our tech crew, or serve coffee on Sunday mornings. There's so many ways that you can serve here. So many ways for you to bless others with the overflow of the Spirit uh, from your life. Some of you may be being called to become a pastor or an elder. And uh, we want to help you to grow in effectiveness in the places that God is calling you to serve in this church, whatever it may be. Second, overflow in personal evangelism. Overflow in evangelism. What's evangelism? I recently read this very simple definition that I think is maybe the best definition I've ever read because it's simple. Evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. Isn't that good? Very understandable. What's the gospel? It's simply put, it's the joy-filled message from God that, that focuses on Jesus and leads to salvation. Well, what does it mean to teach the gospel? Well, teaching the gospel can look different in all kinds of different settings. It can look like preaching from a pulpit in a church. Uh, it can look like teaching in a classroom. It can look like a friend conversing with a friend, a, a parent communicating with a child at the family table, or when he or she is being tucked into the bed in the evening. But but the aim in teaching is and, and explaining the gospel, no matter how long it takes, is always to persuade. It's always to convince. And success in evangelism isn't measured in results. It's measured in clarity. It's measured in faithfulness to the gospel. So the listener has the opportunity to decide. Clarity and persistence. Let me see a show of hands. How many of you have... You, you know, you have people in your life who don't know Jesus yet. Come on. Okay. Uh, how many of you uh, wish you felt more confident and competent in sharing the gospel with them? Let's see, see your hands again. Okay. Well, one of the things we want to do here at LifePoint this year is, is to equip you uh, to be prepared to do that, to communicate the message of the gospel accurately, compassionately, whatever relationship or circumstances you may find yourself. This is one of the important abilities that each of us needs to cultivate. I'm hoping uh, in this coming year to uh, be able to offer uh, a class on personal evangelism. Second sector is to overflow within the community. To overflow, or this is the third rather, to overflow within the community. How, how many of you believe that God relocated LifePoint Church from southeast Lacey to Northeast Olympia for a purpose. 
for a reason. How many of you probably think that's probably true? Not, not very many of you. You're not persuaded about that. That, that we would reach the people in, in the neighborhoods in this part of town with the gospel. You know, I was as surprised as anybody when we moved here. Um, truth be known, I came kicking and screaming. But it occurred to me that maybe God was looking for a church for, for, for Northeast Olympia and he wanted one that looked a lot, an awful lot like LifePoint. Um, there's a reason we're here. And so we need to overflow in this community. Here's some examples um, of overflow life groups serving their neighbors, meeting in the, meeting the needs uh, uh, in the cities, in the rural areas of Thurston County and beyond. The homeless backpack program, we've been a part of that for years at Timberline High School before we moved over here and bought this property. We continue to be a part of that. Um, that serves low income and homeless uh, high school students, helps them make it through high school graduation, which is a, an enormous step for a homeless kid. Uh, serving in the local schools in generally, and we hope, in general, and we hope to, to be able to, um, begin to do things like that in the schools uh, here in the Olympia School District. City Gates Ministry is a ministry to homeless people on the streets of Olympia. Uh, One of the interesting connections that happened when we bought this property is that we discovered that City Gates uses one of the portables um, to store their food. And, And so it was an automatic connection with City Gates. And we have a crew that, that uh, serves downtown from here at LifePoint that prepare meals, take them down to the streets. The Union Gospel Mission is another area. Options Pregnancy Clinic. Um, You'll be surprised by this one. Homeowners Associations. Uh, What a strategic place to connect and and, and minister creatively uh, with homeowners associations. One of the things that I've done already um, is made contact with the uh, presidents and vice presidents of all of the homeowners associations that surround us here, and there are a number of them, and and just said, we want to connect with you. We want you to, uh, and this is the next point being, we want to be generous and hospita- hospitable with our facilities and our grounds. If, if you need a place for a, a HOA meeting, if you need a place to just do something, please use our facilities. And we want our facilities to be used uh, by Lots of people in our community. Those are just a few ideas. Those are just a few areas. Uh, your gifting, your vision, your passions uh, may not fit within the traditional ministries of a local church. You, you may be far more inclined to, to serve outside the walls of, of the church and in the community. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that there are a lot of people like that, that you, you, say, you would say, I there's nothing happening right here that really flips my switches. But what I'd really like to do is go minister there. And we want to be a part of what God is calling you to do and to partner with you in that. And then fourth, to overflow internationally. Overflow internationally. Uh, some of you know that we support uh, three ministry couples financially, uh, serving in three different fields. The first is Will and Katie Lowry. Uh, they're serving as missionaries with Converge, which is our network that we're a part of, in Birmingham, England. And across the United Kingdom, you know that the church has been in steady decline for decades. 
are cathedrals and churches that sit empty all across Europe. And, and at the same time, there's been a drastic rise in Islam, for example, as well as other religions. Uh, Lowry's are partnering with a church there in Birmingham to disciple believers, to strengthen the church body. They're also part of uh, training uh, pastors and missionaries that serve across England. And then Ian and Maki Smith are uh, currently serving in Wakayama Prefecture. Uh, Ian happens to be an Olympian native, and so that's how we first met him. He got married to Maki. They just had their first child um, just a few weeks ago. He's also involved in supporting missionaries across Japan, but also uh, doing evangelism, doing discipleship, um, in a place, uh, Wakayama, where they live, um, has a population of almost a million, most of whom have never heard a credible presentation of the gospel. And, and Japan's a very difficult place to serve. Um, they're also involved in suicide prevention ministry, which is, uh, you may know, is epidemic in Japan. Um, developing a training center. So th- they're busy. <laughs> Josh and Ashley Seiler Freeman, a partner with a team in Togo called the Six Degree Initiative in an effort to bring the gospel, the light of the gospel, to a very, very dark country. Um, Togo is the home of voodoo. Uh, they work uh, in church planting, and they, they do a lot of that through children's ministry. They develop a children's ministry and then build a church around that, invite the families. They're involved in in training future Togolese pastors. Um, They're busy as well. And we have uh, made a commitment as a church to to Togo as kind of a primary focus. Uh, We continue to support, continue to embrace, pray for um, the other areas. Uh, But we're going to make Togo a focus. And and in December, we're going to take a team to Togo uh, on a fact-finding mission, just to see their ministry on the ground. And that's going to be about four or five days, and not a long trip. But uh, if you're interested in that, if you're interested in being a part of our missions team, we would love to be able to talk with you. Um, we want to be a missions-supporting church. We have been that. We want to continue to do that. But we also want to become a, a missions-sending church. And... Uh, so we're thinking about short-term missions, uh, whether it's domestic, short-term missions here in the United States, or short-term missions internationally. Um, and we want to nurture our kids, our young adult, young people and adults who, who may have a vision for serving internationally um, and, and be a part of that process of raising them up. Well, those are a number of areas, just ideas and, and things, some of, some of which we are already doing some of which is still in the future. But again, let me ask you, what are you personally doing with your overflow? Do you have one? Uh, or are you stifling the activity of, of, of God in your life and through your life? Um, by the way, that, that's very normal, so you don't have to be embarrassed about it. We all do it. <laughs> but we all ought not to do it. And here's what I know in my own life, is that the Holy Spirit... Is constantly speaking to me. He's constantly nudging me. Sometimes he's screaming at me. Sometimes he's speaking to me in a still small voice. 
But he's always nudging. He's always pushing. He's always moving me forward. And and uh, we need to be responsive. We need to be found obedient. We need to be found in the end when we face Jesus. When he, when he says, what did you do with what I gave you? Uh, we need to be able to give an affirmative answer to that. So what are you doing with your overflow? The time is now to allow the Spirit of God to fill you to overflowing so that you can make a redemptive difference in the lives of others that he is calling you to. Let's pray together. Lord, may we be uh, a church. May we be individuals who allow you to flow freely in us and through us, that we would become more and more like Christ and in becoming more and more like him, that we would reflect him in all of our relationships, that we would see the overflow of the Spirit in our lives and through our lives and the lives of others. Lord, would you speak to each of us individually about that? Um, Lord, none of us are adequate for the ministry to which you would call us, but your word says that your Spirit makes us adequate. Your Spirit prepares us and gives us sufficiency and gives us everything we need to do the things that you're calling us to do. So help us to be found faithful and responsive. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.